Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We do lift up our hearts here together on this snowy and sleeting and raining and windy and cold Sunday morning here at Marsh Chapel, and we, th thus we bear a warm word of welcome due to the aforementioned inclement weather to those who trekked through it to be here present with us in the nave of Marsh Chapel this morning. Also a very special word of welcome to all of those who may be joining our radio congregation or our live stream or our podcast due to the inclement weather and the cancellation of their own services. We bear greetings on this Sunday morning as we begin our celebrations at Boston University of the life and legacy of our most distinguished alumnus, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And in the pulpit this morning, we greet the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman, our Associate Chaplain for Episcopal Ministry. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as University Chaplain for Community Life, and I bear greetings on behalf of our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, as he is away this week. Be welcome, be warm, and let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. As we gather Sunday by Sunday, we pause at the beginning of our service for a moment of confession, a moment of remembrance of lives broken, lives that fail to uphold the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, of lives that strive to do well and to do good and never quite live up to our own aspirations or the empowerment set by the Spirit in our midst. And so we confess and ask for the mercy of God, saying, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. Hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 62, verses 1 through 5. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her vindication shines like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. 
A lesson from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the discernment of spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 36 with the Antiphon. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. You save humans and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of delight. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. O oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your salvation to the upright of heart. Please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Glory to you, O Lord. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Let us pray. Almighty God, by the hand of Moses, your servant, you led your people out of slavery and made them free at last. Grant that your church, following the example of your prophet, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., may resist oppression in the name of your love, and may secure for all your children the blessed liberty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Growing up in Detroit, I always relished the stories of the accomplishments of my parents and their friends. It took a lot of perseverance in the face of racism and discrimination for them to get to the table, yet alone have a seat at the table. I remember one story in particular of the late Wade H. McCree, Jr., distinguished judge, solicitor general, and professor. Quoting from his obituary in the New York Times, Judge McCree was appointed by President Kennedy as a judge on the first district court in Detroit in 1961. Five years later, President Johnson promoted him to the United States Courts of Appeal for the Sixth Circuit that which served Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, and Tennessee. As a judge, he won wide praise in legal circles for intelligence and judgment. As Solicitor General, he enjoyed great goodwill from the Supreme Court justices who respected his character and legal achievements." End quote. So the story I heard when I was growing up was Judge McCree grew up in Boston, graduated from Harvard's Law School, was offered and accepted a job at a prestigious law firm in Boston's where when the partners found out he was African-American, immediately rescinded the offer. When I was writing this sermon, I called his son, my childhood friend, and lawyer Wade III for clarification. So the corrected story goes like this. Judge McCree did indeed grow up in Boston and attended the prestigious Boston Latin School. He is the only African-American to have his name inscribed on the famous frieze of the school, which also includes the names of Benjamin Franklin, John Hancock, and Ralph Waldo Emerson. He did indeed attend 
and graduate from Harvard's Law School after taking a leave to serve in World War II. So here's where the story changes. Judge McCree was recruited by the prestigious law firm Miller Canfield, not in Boston, but in Detroit. Judge McCree arrives for his first day on the job and is asked to wait in the lobby. Time passes and no one is coming out to welcome him on his first day on the job. He later finds out that phone calls were being made back to Harvard, back to Cambridge, Massachusetts, to verify that he was a graduate and not an African-American man pretending to be a lawyer. The managing partner finally comes out to say that the firm's white clientele would be uncomfortable with an African-American lawyer. Judge McCree would then find immediate employment at the African-American law firm of Harold E. Bledsoe and Hobart Taylor. I wonder what he must have been thinking as he sat in the lobby of Miller Canfield. What was the first sign that he had that the situation might not go as he expected? What was plan B? When did he know that his life work would be to be a champion for social and economic justice from the judicial branch, no less. Daily, we all observe signs to one extent or another, and most of us have attended a wedding or two in our lives. So what makes these seemingly ordinary experiences extraordinary in the life of Jesus? Here we are on the second Sunday after the Epiphany, and we read John's Gospel about Jesus' first sign at the wedding in Cana and the signs of God's grace. This passage has something important to tell us all. First, it tells us who Jesus is. Second, it gives us information about God's grace. And third, it shows us what God has in store for us. For the community that the writer of John was addressing, we need to understand two key, key points. As Dean Hill points out in his book, The Courageous Gospel, the Jesus movement was moving away from Judaism. Dean Hill further points out the despair and disappointment in the delay of Christ's return. What is a community of believers supposed to believe? What is a community of believers now charged with doing? How do they and we continue to live as loving and caring people of faith, what are the signs? Signs are very important. They give us information. They give us a sense of direction. I remember when I first moved to Boston, I had been in the city of Boston proper many times for works, conferences, and the annual trek with my Decatur Street friends from Brooklyn to visit the original Filene's basement. I was always able to navigate Boston by the tea and perhaps a short walk. When I moved to Cambridge to attend graduate school, I felt confident that my navigation of Boston and surrounding areas would not be that difficult. After all, I had learned my way around the five boroughs of New York City. I had learned my way around the greater Los Angeles area. And I know from you sitting here or listening what I'm about to say. I have never been so lost in my life. No one tells you that I-95 turns into 128 
or it's counterintuitive when I was working in Randolph, which is south, but you have to head north toward Boston instead of going south toward Canton. And if that wasn't bad enough, nothing in my driver's ed training prepared me for the navigation of a traffic circle. Today, I still cannot grasp the unwritten rules of exiting the Massachusetts Turnpike at the Austin Brighton Tolls. In this passage, Jesus and his followers, including his mother, are attending a wedding. The wine for the wedding is running out and the steward is concerned. The steward would like be the equivalent of a caterer for today's wedding. He would make sure that there's plenty of food and refreshments on the tables as provided by the wedding party. If the food or drink got low, it was the wedding party's responsibility to procure more or basically end the party. And somehow Mary found out about this predicament and she wants Jesus to fix the problem. Evidently, Jesus's identity is no secret to her. Jesus's response clues us in to Jesus's identity. Jesus is looking ahead to what he is to do. His hour has not yet come. The word hour in John's gospel always points to fulfillment of the end times. Jesus is the one who has come to fulfill the word of God, to usher in the reign of God. At the right time, at the right hour, Jesus will bring in the fulfillment of the reign of God. In just a few short verses, we find out Jesus' identity as the Son of God, and we haven't even seen a sign yet. While Jesus' response to Mary is a harsh rebuke, he does what she says. The servants fill six stone jars with water. These are large jars, and we are talking about a lot of water. After they fill the jars, the servant draws out the constant, instead of water, it is wine, and the wine is excellent. The steward is surprised by the quality, and he knows nothing about Jesus's intervention. He believes the groom had pulled a fast one. At a wedding, the best wine is always served first. Then after everyone had plenty, the wine of lesser quality was served. The quality of the wine now presented to the steward is better than the wine he served first. It is important for us to understand the sign that the wine is making in this narrative. To paraphrase the New Testament scholar, Alan Dwight Callahan, in Judean apocalyptic literature, wine is a symbol of the coming of the messianic age of peace and righteousness. Enoch 10:19 looks forward to the vine yielding wine in abundance. And in 2 Baruch 29:5, each vine shall have 1000 branches and each branch 1000 clusters. The abundant wine suddenly flowing at the wedding in Cana is a sign has come. The amount of water turned into wine is a sign for us of God's abundant grace. I don't believe that the wedding party was that large to consume 120 to 180 gallons of wine, but it is a symbol that God's, abundance is, God's grace is abundant. God's desire is for us to receive that grace. The guests received the wine, even though they had no idea where it came from. And we receive God's grace daily. We open our eyes to a new day that is God's grace. We see people we love and for whom we care, and that is God's grace. 
We have food to eat and a comfortable place to sleep. That is God's grace. We know what Christ did for us on the cross and that we have a place in God's reign. That is God's grace. Not only do we see the abundance of God's grace, we see the quality of God's grace, what God has in store for us. The wine is excellent. It is the best wine, and God intends the best for us. God's desire is for us to receive the excellence of his grace and respond to the best of our ability. We receive God's excellent grace freely, and it is upon us to respond. First, we receive it, and then we share it. We share the love God has given us with one another. We share the riches of what he has given us to one another. We take care of one another and we support one another. We share the story of Jesus with each other. And what I have just defined is stewardship. Good stewardship is in response to recognizing God's grace for us. Let me say that once more. Good stewardship is in response to recognizing God's grace for us. So we can take the time on this snowy weekend to honor not only the life and legacy of Dr. King, but meditating on the ways that our lives have been influenced by the people who have been champions of social and economic justice in our lives. We lead we led, who led and lead ordinary lives that impact us in extraordinary ways. As a child, Judge McCree and his late wife, Doris, were known to me as friends of my parents. The McCree family, along with the Bell family, the Bledsoe Ford family, the Reeds, the Holloways, the Hiltons, the Lorries, and other families were a part of Detroit who broke racial and societal barriers during the time of Dr. King. These individuals also need to be raised up in celebration this weekend. These men and women laid the foundation that opened the doors for their children and others. They made sure that we were not excluded from the table. And it is my duty, as it is our collective duty, to make sure that no one is ever excluded from the table. On this weekend where we celebrate the life of Dr. King, let us recall the part of his acceptance speech on the occasion of the award of the Nobel Peace Prize on December 10th, 1964. I accept this award today with the abiding faith in America and an and audacious faith in the future of mankind. I refuse to accept despair as the final response to the ambiguities of history I refuse to accept the idea that the isness of man's present nature makes him morally incapable of reaching up for the eternal oughtness that forever confronts him. I refuse to accept the idea that man is mere floatsome and jetsam in the river of life, unable to influence the unfolding events which surround him. I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starlight midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. This first sign to us 
is of God's incredible grace through Jesus. Do we see the sign for what it is? Are we willing to accept the sign and follow Jesus? Are we willing to trust that God only wants the best for us? We have the choice. We can accept God's grace or we can turn away. Amen. Dear friends, as we turn our hearts and minds to prayer, I invite you to remain standing, be seated, kneel, or come to the communion rail according to your tradition as we join together in our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Clothe your ministers with righteousness. Let your people sing with joy. Give peace, O Lord, in all the world, for only in you can we live in safety. Lord, keep this nation under your care and guide us in the way of justice and truth. Let your way be known upon earth your saving health among all nations. Let not the needy, O Lord, be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and sustain us with your Holy Spirit. We pray today for strength to love, for courage to act, for wisdom to pray. We pray for the strength to love the unloved, to love the oppressed, 
to love the stranger and to love our enemies. We pray for the courage to act, to act to resist evil, to act to decry injustice, to act to grant mercy, and to act to confess our sins. We pray for the wisdom to pray, to pray for the migrant, to pray for the worker without pay, to pray for those in power, to pray for strength, courage, and wisdom, to love, to act, and to pray. O oh God, you make us glad with the weekly remembrance of the glorious resurrection of your Son, our Lord. Give us this day such blessing through our worship of you that the week to come may be spent in your favor. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And we pray in the words that Jesus gave us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbors so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We look forward uh, to continuing our celebration of the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Distinguished Boston University alumnus, tomorrow at one o'clock in the afternoon in partnership with the City of Boston as we welcome Representative to the United States Congress, Ayanna Presley of the 7th District of Massachusetts, along with another, a number of other speakers and presenters. Our Gratitude this morning to the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman for bearing the word among us to get our celebration of Dr. King off to a start even on this cold and precipitous Sunday. We note that due to the precipitation, we will not be having children's education following the service today, but look forward to welcoming our children back for that program next week. We also note that next week begins our uh, Sunday morning book study. It begins at 9.45 on Sundays before the service. This semester we will be reading Dr. King's Strength to Love and invite you to drop by the chapel office downstairs after the service to pick up a copy of the book and uh, the semester's schedule. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on William Dawson's setting of the African-American spiritual, There is a Bomb in Gilead. Now walk in love as Christ loves us an offering and sacrifice to God.
Gracious and loving God, source of all that is good and just, we offer these gifts this morning so that we can be of service to you and enact your justice in this world. Through them, may we show gratitude for the privilege to express our love to you through this act of selfless giving. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And now, my friends, go forth to a week where transformation will meet you and guide you. Do not hide when they recognize you. Do not doubt when you see Christ. Do not deny when you are confronted. Do not stop until you are at the cross, and there you will see the light and the burdens of your heart will roll away. Until then, God be with you. Amen.